that's what it comes down to is how do you create that that flowing motion whether it's a baseball pitcher whether it's a high jumper whatever it is and 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 that you don't learn that in school that was Vern Gambetta and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast <laughs> If there's one thing that has completely changed my approach to supplementation, it's been finding performance herbalism. Herbalism is different than your typical supplements, particularly because herbalism works by harnessing the power of nature. It involves using tried and tested, high-grade, well-sourced herbal compounds to make a difference in your energy, strength, boost your hormonal system, and improve your overall vitality. That's what today's sponsor, Lost Empire Herbs, can bring to you. Whether it's through Shiliajit resin, which has been highly recommended by many coaches for improved strength, mushroom tinctures for immune support, combination packages such as the Phoenix formula, which is one of my favorites, Lost Empire Herbs has the supplements that will help you in achieving your performance training goals. If you want to check out Performance Herbalism for free to see what they can do for you and only have to pay a modest cost of shipping, you can get Pine Pollen, one of their flagship products for free. It's a key ingredient in the Phoenix formula. And to get that free bag of pine pollen sent to your door for only the normal cost of shipping, you can head to JustFlyPinePollen.com. That's JustFlyPinePollen.com. Lost Empire Herbs is a great company, and I hope you get a chance to check them out. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I am so excited to welcome to the show Vern Gambetta today. Vern is a coaching legend. He has over 50 years of experience in the field. He is the director of Gambetta Sports Training Systems. And you're not going to find too many coaches out there who have the experience, who have read the number of uh, books and coaching literature, and also have the stories, the anecdotes, and just the understanding of the broader coaching and performance training tree that Vern does. On the show today, Vern will be talking about training that fits the needs of the athlete. We'll be going into a discussion on different forms of lifting, Olympic weightlifting, but also those elements of training that deal with movement quality, flow, rhythm, tempo, things that help athletes to move well and to do so throughout their careers. Vern also gets into creativity and the creative art form of coaching. Uh, this and much more on the episode today. It was awesome talking to Vern, and I'm excited to get this show going. So let's get to episode 391 here with Coach Vern Gambetta. So you were originally like football, and I'm sure growing up when you did, you you went and played all the games in the neighborhood and had kind of more of that rich, typical free play youth, and then football, and then track. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that, how uh, maybe well, work, start whenever you want in that timeline of things, but I'm really curious how well, that unfolded. In, in high school, I, I, I didn't even start until I was a senior uh, in uh, in football, and but I don't know why. I wanted, to, I, I wanted to be a college football player. My brother was a great athlete, and he was a really good football player that never really, it, 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 everything came easy. I was the opposite. Uh, I was a decent basketball player, and I could jump, and then in track, I threw the shot not well and i ran the hundred my you know fine I, I realized quickly in my senior year that uh and i started lifting weights before my senior year in high school the summer of 1963 spring of 1963 and i was told that you're going to get tight you're going to get and all of a sudden instead of just touching the rim i've got my hand over the rim i'm flexed you know i, I got a hold of 
some really good three books. There's only three books at that time. My my quarterback on the team and I or tried to organize. Nobody else would lift, and so we'd lift in my garage. I bought a York six foot barbell and 135 pounds of weight, which was more than sufficient at that time. And I put on about got up to 177, and uh, you know, and but um, I love track. I, there was a meet in Santa Barbara called the Santa Barbara Easter Relays. There was always, I mean, it was like the spring meet for all the, D, they weren't called D1 schools. There UCLA, SC, University of Washington, Cal, Stanford, all came. And just to go there and see these great athletes. And so that that ignited my curiosity. What are they doing? You know, you saw big people, you know, in the, in the sprints that were bigger than I running, you know, really fast. And so, you know, it ignited my curiosity. And then in, 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 in college at Fresno State, I was a lineman, an offensive lineman. And uh, in those days, you could play. So my sophomore year, I got up to 220, and then the new coach came in, and he wanted us lighter. And so I got down to 200. And then when I finally played well, I graded out as a top lineman in spring practice. In, in Going into my senior year, I was 193-pound offensive guard. I asked to switch to guard because I then and and I was probably the sixth or seventh. I was definitely the fastest lineman and and as fast as some of our running backs, which says a lot. We we were good, but you know I could run like a four seven. They didn't measure forties, but you know it was probably four seven, four six in that range. So I knew that speed at playing guard with speed would help me. But what helped me as soon as freshman football was over, there was a guy in a near jump coach. Charlie Craig, who was a great triple jumper, and he was a collegiate record holder at that time, was still going to school there, and, and he was in the weight room. And uh, we had all, only had universal gyms, and there was 440 pounds on the leg press, and he'd have me stand on the leg press. And he could one-legged leg press almost 600 pounds. So I go back to the dorm, and and my head is spinning like, you know, and Charlie was, he's a great guy and he became a great coach at Cal State Bakersfield and assistant at Cal for a while. And uh, so that's, and then I started, and so the next year in the off season, I trained with the track guys, you know, and especially uh, at first it was the throwers, but then with the jumpers, right? Sprinters didn't, didn't, didn't lift then, you know? And so that opened a whole new world to me. And then there was a high jumper there named Larry Alexander, who uh, was a teammate of, um, help me, just Rick Sloan. No, no, let me make sure I got this right. Yes, he was. I think he was a teammate of Rick Sloan's. No, he wasn't. He was friends with Rick Sloan, and Rick Sloan went to went to uh, Fulton Junior College, which was a great track school, and uh, Larry went to Pasadena City College. He transferred to Fresno State, and he looked like Valerie Brumel. I mean, he, he, and all, he, he, so he, he gave me all his track techniques, so instead of studying, I'd read track techniques. And so I started I started going, wait a minute. Now, some of this stuff that I'm doing doesn't make sense relative to what I have to do, right? And, uh, and, and you know, and so I looked at Brumel's training and, you know, and all of that. So I think that's, I, I think, I know that started the, uh, I don't know if it's an odyssey, a journey, uh, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's why somebody asked me, I think I said this to you the other day, Somebody asked me down in Australia, it might have been Eddie Jones, how have you worked with all these different sports? And I said, because of run, jump, and throw. Because, you know, you track and field is run, jump, and throw. I was infatuated with the decathlon. 
1960, there was, I'm still trying to, there, there was no videotape of programs. And so, it's, you know, it's, it was gone. There was a terrific special on KTLA Channel 5 with Rafer Johnson and C.K. Yang. They were teammates at UCLA. And this was leading into the 60 Olympics. And Ducky Drake, who the stadium is named after, who was also the head trainer, was the head track coach. And it was an hour-long special. And I go, I want to do that. Now, remember, I was a guard in football. Hmm. And I was, at that time, I was 5'2", 110 pounds. And, but they're never, so I couldn't, I had just not very much of a scholarship, but I couldn't take a chance because spring practice was six weeks long when I was in college. And uh, we had a couple of pretty good, uh, John Warkentine was a really good decathlete, uh, you know, there at Fresno State. And I'd watch him train. I mean, he'd be training all the time. And I, so my senior year, I took theory of track and field and we had to do all, we had to do all events and you have to show proficiency. And Red Estes was the assistant coach, later head coach. And he encouraged, he said, well, if you want, I said, I want to coach track. I, I didn't have a great experience in football. He said, well, do decathlon. And that shows how naive I was. So when I went back to Santa Barbara, I went out to Sam Adams at UCSB and there was athletes training there. And that's where the Magical Mystery Tour started. So, and the other key thing was that January, they had the first track and field clinic at Fresno State, 1968. And the, the speakers were, and this was real, was Bill Bowerman. And I left that Friday night and I said, I want to be like that guy. I, I loved his approach. And then the other guy was Ken Shannon. Ken Shannon was uh, the field event coach at UCLA at the time, and uh, he had uh, Rick Sloan. I mean, he had Rick Sloan who made who made the decathlon in 1968. But if you, Shannon was a great throws coach, but he was a great field event coach, part of the coaching tree out of Occidental College. So I could go on, but that mm-hmm. that those what those are the things that really ignited my passion. I saw how these. Uh, Bowerman was passionate. Uh, Shannon was passionate. The coaches at Fresno State. I watched a little guy named um, Daryl Newman who who, who beat uh, Bob Hayes indoors. He's a little short, don't mean to care, but little short white guy from the Valley, bald headed. They call him the Ball Bullet. 110, 100 meters was about one meters too long for him. And I watched him train, and he couldn't run in training. They they ran this grass one fifties, and every all the other guys were running six. Charlie and those guys, Sam Workman, he could run three and he'd puke. That was it. Well, I realized now he was a drop dead sprinter, you know, and, and I, I thought, well, he's not, you know, what if he really got in shape? I, th- I, I couldn't acquainted it with getting in shape, but that wasn't what it was, you know, and uh, so anyway, enough said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get an idea of the background. It was, it, it, and it was a magic time to, 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 to really be exposed to track and field, 1968 to 72. You know, and it was really a magic time in the sport. Yeah, it is interesting to, I think, most people and coaches' experience of athletic performance or track and field. It's very much you know, what you see. A lot of it's short form. What you see on social media, you know, YouTube training. Yeah. And uh, we were just talking a little bit before we pushed record about the training literature and the books from the seventies yeah. and the eighties and. Some of the things I've uh, early '90s, even a few that I've picked up there, I really like. And uh, it was Dan John who had mentioned the triple jump encyclopedia, so of course I go buy it right away. And it is interesting to think too, like your your training philosophy being so influenced by that that golden age. And sometimes too, I think about like people talk about the '80s in music being so creative, yeah. and which I totally agree with. But I, I right. don't think it was dissimilar with what you see out of these jumps training books and. 
There's I think the sixties were more creative than the eighties in music, but we could have that discussion yeah, offline. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm Beatles sure. And, and that, but anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, maybe relative to the the um, I don't know, the one yeah. after the OOS, you know, whatever the the tens or whatever the twenty tens relative, where they just yeah. rehashing old songs and various things. But um, yeah. the, the the interesting thing with that, and you know, something that's I think something that's beautiful about those books too is a lot of the figures are like hand drawn. You know, where it's like there's something yeah. to yeah. putting oh, yeah. a pen to paper or or not just being creative with the exercises. And and I don't think they were creative, and I'm sure you'd agree with this. I mean, I'm sure there was some, but I, I feel like the creativity was all, it was very practical. And it's almost as if the hand-drawn element of that oh, yeah. keeps it very human it, versus like, triple jump encyclopedia you know yeah. those fold those fold out things and yeah. i know larry quite well it cost them a boatload of money oh, yeah. to get those sequence pictures and the place where we got sequence pictures for, was from like athletic a german publication and every it came out every two weeks and those were golden but everything was hand drawn and one of the key influence for me in the sprints was betty atwater and i have her her original study where she did two summers where she took the top eight sprinters in the US and she she hand digitized every step mm. of a hundred meters. A step is left foot, then right foot, that and then left foot, that's a stride. And 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 I I I I've got I've gotten back in touch with her. I, I really think the process that we had to go through to 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 study the event because it was so laborious mm-hmm. that it really helped us understand better the essence of what was happening. You know, it's so easy now in a sense. I, I have, uh, I can't, I have a BAAB British amateur athletic board reports from the 68, 72, 76, 80, 84. And they, they stopped doing it after 88 Olympic reports. And, and up until 88, they were all, the illustrations were hand drawn. I mean, it's awesome. You're right, and uh, yeah, and, and and the books. I mean, triple jump, you know, track technique, which I had the honor of editing for ten years. I mean, I recommend that everybody get up to the hundredth issue, if if you can get them. I just gave mine away. You know, it's uh, but because the stuff is golden. It's just golden. You know, and a lot of things haven't changed. A lot of things haven't changed. You know, so. Yeah, sorry, oh, that's okay. I got on another uh, rant. <laughs> I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's. I mean, with all your experience, I'm sure there's like little. Um, I almost look at it like, uh, if you go down this road, there's a lot in that every road. There's a lot of history there. Yeah. I, I get it uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's interesting doing a podcast when these could be like an afternoon conversation on pretty much any topic. So, um, yeah, I love those afternoon conversations, but particularly with coaches. You know, you're 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 kind of in that middle generation, and then the 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 twenty somethings coaches now are just I feel really bad sometimes you know in in a lot of sport because they're kind of lost they have no historical context I coached I talked to the gold medal winner um the from the French pole vaulter I talked to his coach in 2012 and I asked him if he uh, I, I said something about Dutch Warmerdam he didn't know who Dutch Warmerdam was and I'm going I, I walked away you know like kind of shaking my head Dutch Warmerdam was the first guy to vault 15 feet. Mm-hmm. He's probably the greatest vaulter of all time. If there wouldn't have been World War II, he would have had two Olympic gold medals. And and he was, you know, he was a pioneer in the event, you know. And you got to know that. You got to know where where things came from. Well, some of the swing techniques that he used on a bamboo pole, 
And then later, I, I don't know if they even sure Dutch used, he was a coach at Fresno State, used a steel pole. And I competed in decathlon with him, and he did the Masters event. And at age 62, he cleared 12 feet, you know. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. And and I, I don't think, it, you know, those who ignore history are condemned to repeat it. Uh, Toyn, some people attribute that to Toynbee. But I think, you know, there's a lot of, in distance running now, this, this double thing with the Finns and that. I mean, the uh, Norwegians. But if you go back to to Lossy Viren's training and the Finnish training and, and that, it was the same training, you know, from 66 to 76, you know. But they, they just didn't define it as such. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I do think, you know, we had mentioned something like this before we push record, but I, I do think it'd be really cool to get you or Dan John or like to have a like, hey, here's these 10 books written before 1985 or something. If you're a coach in athletics, yeah. you should read these 10 books before just because to know where you've been from. I, I just bought actually recently, I don't know when this book was written, but it was Arthur Lydiard's running book, you know, and just to like, uh, yeah, yeah, just because, great. and I don't really train distance. I do train uh, uh, distance running. I train running for people who want to run better for 5Ks, but I don't train like the cross country team. But even still, like there's so much that you can take from that um it's almost like getting in this the way of thinking and the or perry uh perry i forget how to say the <laughs> sir Cuddy, i think is his last name like in Dan Dunra, Cerruti. Cerruti, you gotta you yeah, gotta know terrible you gotta I, understand percy yeah. Cerruti yeah percy Cerruti and and those guys because i mean he was into weight training yeah he, he was, was in the sand hills and that kind of stuff he's an eccentric bugger <laughs> but um you know it worked for for the athletes that believed in him and it worked for her belly it was Everybody criticized, you know, I mean, he, who knows what he would have run had he, had he kept running. You know, he yeah. retired at 23. Yeah. He never ran on a synthetic track, you know. And, but Cersei Cerruti, uh, uh, Elliot's, uh, uh, I mean, um, oh, shoot, uh, Lydia's book was, that was every year, that was a must read in August before cross country started for me. Yeah. You know, just a must read because it, it, it grounded you in, in certain things. And it's usually misinterpreted, by the way, too. I'm sure. You know, this labeled as marathon training. And, you know, uh, if, if you read the whole book and you you, you digest it, you'll realize that there's a lot more there there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say a couple of things with the um, the art and the, the hand drawing. And then I also had something with the history that I thought was interesting that you said was um, you know, back at Cal, uh, that was actually the first or the only time I've met you in person. Uh, that was yeah. like, probably like seven years ago or eight years ago, maybe more than that now. Time flies. Well, no. But um, I know you were there. I think you were, you were having a conversation with Nick Volker and it was yeah, Dave was Durden who was the head swim coach there. I remember um, watching him write workouts or just having a conversation with him once. And he, Dave was an engineer and he had this graph paper, like engineering graph paper, and he would always write the workouts on, it had all the little grids, like the little grids and squares, almost like yep. Excel on it. And he would always write the workouts out hand with his uh, hand, write them. And he said, he's like, yeah, if I, um, if I write it on a computer, they usually end up being too hard or too difficult. <laughs> and, and so at the time I thought that was just interesting, but the further I get along, I guess, especially with the rise of AI and I don't, and I'm not totally, I do think like with technology, like, like just having smartphones and slow motion video has been so good oh. for me. So good. And so I can't like, that's awesome. Um, but it, there's also something at the same time, it's like just balancing all the things that are on one end, you do have all this um, data points and, and video and high speed and it's really cool. But then on the other end, you it's like you have to at least take time to do something that 
is more human. That's more art. Like um, Paul Cater, who's yeah. been on the podcast, talks about like he's done. Um, I've seen videos of him where he'll he'll work on a painting, and he's a very good painter, and also one yeah. of the most creative coaches I know. Um, and then he'll do deadlifts, and he'll go back and work on his painting and do yeah. deadlifts, and that's like his his thing on Sunday or something like that. And so I just think that that also made me think of that with those seventies and eighties manuals, and 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 along with that too. And I and I I don't want to get too far sectioned in. Because I had a another question, kind of to go along with or thought, but um, there was a like an AI. Speaking of AI, <laughs> there was an AI powered um, like study or compilation on uh, the nature of music through the '60s, '70s, '80s, and now. And it was saying that um, now more music sounds the same than it sounded different. So it was more different, and the richness of the tonality, however they measured that, was better in like the '60s. I think actually, like you said, I think the '60s was like a peak there. For a lot of that stuff. Well, yeah, because that's when all the influences kind of merged, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways. Eastern music, country western. Uh, I mean, if, if you look not just at the Beatles, I mean, ironically, I've gotten back into a, um, the Bakersfield sound, sort of. Uh, I love Merle Haggard. And yeah. the first song I heard walking in the locker room at Fresno State as a, as a kid that grew up in Santa Barbara, California, although I did work on a ranch in the summer, was I got the got the hungries for your love while I'm waiting in your welfare line. And that introduced me to, uh, to country music. But if you listen to, uh, Buck Owens and, uh, and, and you know, all these different influence and, 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 uh, and, 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 so, and, uh, Southern blues and, uh, everything came together. Well, I, I think those are, that's, that's also something that happened in track. Cause remember there was huge segregation up mm. through that. I mean, the, 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 the black teams in the South didn't compete against white schools until you know they were naia or they were they a lot you know and and so it's it's all these things melt together you know uh, society uh music history uh you know it's it, you can't separate it you're because you're you're coaching people and uh, I, I i just think i had this conversation with elise perry who's an elite cricket player elite maybe one of the best ever last year when i started working with her and i said you know at least this is just a big dance you know you're too you're you're you've had too many influences that have made you mechanical and robot like mm -hmm. you know and 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 it's about rhythm and tempo and i i said i want you to go we were she's in australia and i want you to and we'll talk tomorrow i want you to go look at the ukrainian high jumper and i want you to just i want you to just get a feeling for her rhythm that's exactly the rhythm you've got to use when you bowl you know, it's rhythm and tempo and, 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 and a feel, you know, not, not being robotic, not concentrating on what the big toe does and what mm -hmm. the knee does and all of that, because, every, and you want to express yourself through the movements of the sport. That's the way I look at it. So allow you now there's sometimes like, and I'm dropping names, but I've, so fortunate right now to this is only two athletes I'm working with. Uh, I'm coaching coaches now as Summer McIntosh, who broke two world records last year as, as a 16 year old. And what some people identify as a fault in her stroke, I'm convinced now is a strength in her stroke. And maybe you could correct that. And, and uh, there's a terrific quote by Lauren Muley, um, uh, MK Bowles coach. He said, strengthening weaknesses without weakening strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and to me, a lot of that, and I got to spend some time with him in Padua in about six weeks ago. And, 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 and that's what a lot of it is. You know, it's, it's, 
it's coaching is managing complexity and harnessing chaos. Okay. And, and I just see too many people trying to fit people into boxes. I see this on, I watched something yesterday. I, I actually am watching um, Instagram now and, and say, I'm trying to figure out how to, to get the video, some of the dumb videos off there. I've gotten some, it's refreshed my memory on certain things like, I, I, you know, and that, but um, I just see coaches making people into robots, you know, and I see excessive drilling mm-hmm. uh, yeah. done wrong, like the mock drills. I, I, I'm a big, I was hugely influenced by Gerard Mock and his system. And the most people do the drills wrong. You know, they, 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 they don't use it to put force in the ground. They're not form drills. They're, they're strengthening drills, yeah. you know, and so I could, I could oh, go yeah. on forever. Yeah, it's, that's... It's, it's, it's an eclectic process. And I learned that. I didn't know what eclectic meant when, when Bill Bowerman said it. So I had to go home that night and look it up. And eclectic is, and that's what he did. He, I mean, that guy coached a gold medalist in the 400 meters. He coached a 20 meter shot putter. He coached, you know, all mm. those great distance runners and in, invented, you know, a lot of the Nike shoes. He was a real polymath. And in, 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 in college, he was a pre-med major, you know, so... Um, you know, and th- th- those are the things that inspire me, you know, and, and I'd like to, my, for the rest of my life, God, I hope I have a, quite a few more years by my genetics, at least family history. I've got a few more, um, I'll be 77 in January. I just want to share this information with, with, with the younger coaches that need to be exposed to this instead of some of this crazy stuff that commercially is out there. You know, and um, and and my answer is, I, I was at this present in Padua European Athletics Coaches Association. A guy did a presentation on on this on sprinting, and he spent an hour on a sprint stride that I would have spent five minutes on, and it was paralysis by analysis. Then another coach who's coached some European championships, he he had a drill for every aspect. You know, so mm-hmm. did Gerard Mock. But there was only like three drills for he and Gerard did. And I'm thinking, like, where are you going with this? You know, this is a sprint, left, right, left. Can and my my question, Joel, always is you show me something and you know, you break down. And I and my question is in every sport I work with is can you coach that? Can you coach it? You know, not it, 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 is it relevant to what you're doing? None of us have ever had unlimited time to train. You know, even now working with these two two great athletes, summer trains twenty eight hours a week. You know, so the dry land part is is four hours of that. You know, now Elise is a different story. She's a professional. She's thirty three years old. You know, she's she's got one sport emphasis now. She was a world class soccer player too. You know, so she can she can do a little bit more, but it's not necessary to do more. That's what we've changed with their training. Sorry, I, I just I'm so hyped up. I, I get on a roll here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I understand completely. Um, something I did want to say um, that kind of sprung up in my mind. Uh, it's, it's funny because as I'm talking about the AI that says the music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s yeah. is the most rich and and all that, and and now it's but I think sometimes too we also forget all the bad songs that were in the 60s, 70s because there was a oh. lot of bad songs, a lot of bad songs, and I think there was also a lot of bad coaching there too. It's like we can't just look at the best artistic coaching. I remember Jeff Hauser when he was on saying, you know, in the yeah. 1970s or whatever, the thing was or a thing at least 
was, hey, just push the ground away as hard as you can, as long as you can in sprinting. And then it shot the other way, you know, 10 years later, get your knees up as fast as you can in front and try to cut the backside. It's like these pendulums going back and forth, you know. And, um, but I think we, we forget about all the, the poor coaching and poor songs. And then it also leads me to think, well, uh, you, uh, we were talking about this with the, those, those jumps books, the power and the speed and the coordination. Well, how do you improve on those? Like what is, how do you build on something that was so beautiful and artistic without, you know, holding to the core that then being able to incorporate the smartphones and data, whatever we have now, the inner learning through fields. Do you have any, um, what's your take on how we can improve on um, that that art of that time period? Well, I, I think, first of all, we talked about this the other day when we talked about you having me on, is in, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even er, the early 80s, most of the athletes you worked with in the United States in track and field, and in, in virtually any sport, had, had the, and, and boys and girls had PE K through 12. Mm-hmm. And they had... They had learned basics of good movement, depending on, you know, certain states had better, there was curriculum, but everybody had to do president's fitness tests, which had a, had sprinting, used to have sprinting, it had a softball throw, it had a jump, it had a six minute uh, run in it. So, you know, you could, you could look at and identify pretty good athletes, but, but you were exposed to the basics of movement and, and that's the key thing. And then, and then dance, I was reflecting the Mm -hmm. other day, I, my freshman year at Fresno State, I had an elementary folk and square dance, which was 11 o'clock, and I slept through about half of them. That shows how motivated I was in academic, well, you say academic, but I reflect back on on wh- how much I learned in that dance class. You know, now I understand it better at 77, you know, in terms of rhythm and tempo, but I think you have to coach that. Some of the best coaches I've been around hardly ever say anything. And I find myself doing this. That's all you have to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you mentioned smart smartphones, man, that's been great. But I think you have to be careful that you don't show every jump, every yes. throw, every mm-hmm. sprint in slow motion with the athlete. Okay. Totally agree. You want to, you want to, uh, I, the biggest mistake I made, my best man was a, 199 foot discus thrower back in the day, which was pretty good 50 some years ago. And we got, we, he introduced me at Super 8 Film and we had a film editor. And, and, you know, and you'd look at frame by frame and I can show you film of me in my first decathlon. I was throwing frame by frame, you know, and so the, 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 the ability to instantly video analyze is, is, is really excellent. But sometimes, um, I know I did this when Elise came here and spent uh, two weeks. Um, I said, I want you to shut your eyes now. I'm playing the video. <laughs> this is really kind of weird. And I want you to listen to to your footfalls. Okay. And then we were doing something in my garage kind of gym where there was a, a tempo to it. And I said, I want you to look at it, but I want you to focus on the tempo that's allowing you to achieve the mm-hmm. range of motion that you need to achieve in that motion. And I, I think this is a, um, uh, I, you know, it's, I, I learned this. Um, I think as I've gotten older, uh, I don't think I understood this very well in the first 10 or 15 years of coaching. Um, I think a guy who did, who did understand this really well was Bud Winter, mm. you know, the relaxed and win philosophy and everybody, he was criticized 
brutally criticized mm-hmm. by the Germans and the Europeans because he wasn't he wasn't rigid and scientific and that. But I got to watch him coach. I got to watch them run uh, again at front, at the West Coast relays in that. And he was he's a brilliant coach. He 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 fit the system to the athlete, you know. And 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 it was and not it's not black white or music or anything. I mean it, it's it's that's what it comes down to is how do you create that that flowing motion whether it's a baseball pitcher whether it's a high jumper whatever it is you know so and 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 that you don't learn that in school you know now I, I really if I were to go back again and I we I had a class in at Stanford in grad school with dance master student. If I wouldn't have been so hung up, I would have taken a dance class then. I, the opportunity was there, and I would really, you know, a, a, a modern dance class. My daughter, who was a really good athlete, um, good, really good sprinter, still holds the county record in 200. And uh, she she made it to state meet three years in a row in track and said, Dad, I'm not going to run my senior, which kind of, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's okay. I was her coach and coached at the high school, and she wanted, I, I love soccer. I'm going to play soccer. And then after two years, after playing a year of college soccer, she went back to sprinting. And but her speed came back the summer before because she came home and she said, "Dad, I'm going to take modern dance and I'm going to take. Um, I want you to coach me back like you coached me when I was a sprinter instead of a soccer player." And that again was it was more dance like. Yeah. She had a term that I use now. I've adopted and I, uh, Kristen, how do you feel today? I feel really sprinty. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. You know, when you feel really sprinty, you're bouncy, you're, 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 you're just really, you know, light on your feet and putting force into the ground. And she'd come out some days and said, dad, it ain't there, you know? So we knew that was barefoot on the grass and, you know, or something like that. And, and you do that with every athlete, you know, cause you want to, you want to be sprinty. If you're, if I'm coaching a 10,000 meter runner, I want them to be sprinty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like what you said about, um, and I think a lot of coaches share this sentiment of that over-drilling mentality. Uh, and it's in some ways, I think of it, I just had this thought the other day, where, and if you talk about, well, what is art? Where does training become art and creative? Yeah. And if yeah. we look at things like a robot, like a 2D, uh, like two dimensions, like you think about how a Lego man walks, like I'm sure robots, as they get more advanced, they'll be able to use more multiplanar motion, but like the Lego man robot is is linear sagittal plane it's just we're going in two dimensions and i was thinking about this i was like you know drills and cues at their heart like an internal cue like a do this really is a more two-dimensional thing and it's hard it's hard for athletes to be multi-planar to do the linear or the sagittal the transverse and the frontal in coordinated function and have a cue that can really capture all the coordination that's going on it's like at that point you have to go into feelings and analogies and a cue is almost too simplistic at that point to start to really engage that full 3D uh, machinery. And I think that's kind of, in some ways, maybe you could say that's where it becomes art because anybody can find the drill and find all the, or the drills or the special exercises and just paste them on. But for it to become art, there needs to be a language that now the body can process the three-dimensionality of those things. Or I think there's constraints too that can do it as well that are a gateway. But it's not, you can't just copy and paste drills and cues because it will only get you to a certain point. Well, it'll get, it'll get you mechanic. I think it'll make, it eventually will make you mechanical. Yes. Rather than allowing, allowing your 
the freedom of movement to, to be able to happen. I think that's a, I think that's a really good observation. And I, I, I want the athlete to, uh, to develop their own cue system. I've given homework to them sometimes to say, you know, go back, write in your training log, write down what resonated, what, what, what made that, what made that connection happen? You know, and, and, and sometimes on the video, I'll go, yeah, you got mm-hmm. it. Okay. But, but that's fine. I saw that. Did they feel it? You know, and, and, uh, I think that's, that's really an important part of the, of, of the art of coaching. You know, I've seen that across sports with the great, with the great coaches, whether it's pitching coaches, you know, having been able to work with a lot of sports, same thing with, you know, with swimming. I mean, there's a, there's a definite rhythm and tempo. We had a girl here, Emma Wyatt, who got the silver medal in the 400 IM in, in, in Tokyo last Olympic games. And one day it was a Sunday. It was just her and I and the head coach (laughs) and uh, her, uh, her fly, which is the first event in the 400 IM, was going to be the make or break event, and and that was related a lot to what and, and I was to what I had done, not I had we had done with her in terms of strength. It's a very strength oriented mm-hmm. event and big, and uh, she 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 did a uh, a fifty fly, and after about six strokes, I I, I turned and I I could I'm de- I'm I wear hearing aids. I said Brent, she's got it. I said, you, I said, listen, you can hear the, mm-hmm. turn away and listen to the rhythm. She's got it. And she finished and she had a smile on her face. Like nobody, we, nobody said anything. She finally got it. And I identified for me, I identified that is it there was a rhythm, a tempo that was there that, that, and I think the fact that she was by herself instead of a whole bunch of other people in lanes, you know, there's a lot of factors and, and a culmination of a lot of, you know, a lot of work too, you know, so. Today's podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is an online software for coaches and trainers, and I've continued to hear great things about the Team Builder platform. If you're looking for either an in-house training portal for your training groups or an online training hub, be sure to check out the Team Builder training software. Yeah, in terms of... um I wanted to, I had a couple of questions and I think the first one in, in follow up of this or to kind of continue on with this, because I do want to get into, I don't want to not ask you about like the process of developing creativity and coaching in a way that's also make sure it's practical and hopefully in a way that can also take advantage of some of the technology we have now without creating the, the mess of data. Um, I do, I do want to ask you, I'll, I'll start with this is you mentioned um, you started like you were lifting. I mean, you said 1963. That was like that was before it was cool, basically, <laughs> and it helped you. And how did you? A lot of people would know you for functional training. And so, what was the path that took you from? And obviously, the lifting helped you at first. Like, what was the point? Those points where you were like, okay, this now it's too much, or now here's where it hit its ceiling, yeah. and and here's the functional path that lies ahead. What were some yeah, milestones no, that really led to that distinction? It, when I started questioning was um, in Santa Barbara where, you know, where I trained uh, UCSB and coached the high school there, uh, Bayer Leverkusen track club from Germany would come and they had some great Olympians there with them. And I watched them and they, and, uh, and then there was a bunch of Europeans that would come and they'd come in the weight room and they'd do three exercises and then they would go out and jump and they would throw an overhead shot and do that. And we're in there for an hour and a half, grunting and groaning, and 
and you know and 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 they all could i'm talking about combined inventors now they could all throw better than us and they they you know they're and and so that led me to that led me to really to really start to think like what the hell's going on here and i still made the same mistake um I, I coach with, with i coached two guys that scored seven, 79 88 79 92 steve Rogers, who went on to work with me with the white Sox, and he was but we spent way too mm-hmm. much time in the weight room. It was only really in in the, in the mid nineteen eighties where it started to come together. You know, like wait a minute, we're not getting the return here. So doing some of that is still important, right? The max strength, some of the traditional stuff is fine if it's you know if it's and and, and that's dictated by your body type relative to the sport you're playing. But no, and, and then you start looking at people, and you know, I, I was started looking at vaulters. Vaulters didn't lift that much, but they did more gymnastics, yeah. you know. And then you you get exposed to other sports. There was a guy named Salnikov who was the world record holder in the fifteen hundred meters. I have I have the VHS tape here. I'm trying. I'm yeah, going to get sw- it. Swimming, right? Swimming. Yeah, because it's and, not track. I've I've seen those. Yeah, that, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I just want to make it's, that it's all yeah. fuzzy and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, it was all like almost it was what i i pour the term functional training too because everything's functional it's yeah, just how relative but but it was all almost like calisthenics it's what we mm-hmm. do now yes. what i do with the swimmers now uh not necessarily lighter weights i mean some are relative to her body weight is strong as a bull you know in terms of what she uses with dumbbells and that so it was a process it was a process over over uh, well over the, over time like and with myself as an athlete i found that as an athlete playing football in college the he- the heavier i got the heavier i lifted it compromised my speed okay and then i found that sweet spot you know where yeah i, I mean i could squat 450 pounds and you know for reps and all that kind of stuff but and, and even when i started in decathlon i mean I spent way too much time lifting. And then as I, I wasn't very good, but but as I got better, the time, because I didn't have time to lift very much. So I would do pull-ups at school. I would do rope climb. I did more bounding. I got a hold of Vera Kashansky's mm-hmm. first studies about short jumps and long jumps. And I did more of that. And I started, so that's what I incorporated. You know, I incorporated it with the kids that I was coaching and then at Cal and, you know, and then as we diversified into other sports. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, you know, you you get a bump and, and particularly, uh, you know, and female, I mean, and, and strength training for females is hugely important, but it's a type of strength training. But I we did it. Uh, I mean, I, I had a mile relay team mile relay team then that was fifth in the California state meet and every one of those kids could squat 225 those girls the, and the leadoff runner was a distance mm. runner <laughs> wow. now would I do that now I, I got together with one of them she came to see me in Holland she lives and married a Dutch guy I hadn't seen her in 40 years you know and uh we were, she was there when I gave a talk and I used her as an example I said now some of the things I did with Molly she was a very good jumper too which was key you know, I, it, despite some of the stupid stuff I did, you know, so, uh, but yeah, so it was a process. And uh, so it's finding, um, Joel, how the pieces fit, where they fit, you know, the, the umbrella uh, term is strength training and power training, you know, and uh, 
it's it's developing strength that you can use, not that you can measure. And that's that's that goes contrary to you know to a lot of strength and conditioning programs where the whole you know you you're you're at Cal and you've got to report to the head coach that the team got stronger. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't you know like yeah, but can they swim faster? You know, can they can they run faster? You know, so I don't know. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I, I was in a very similar boat in so many ways. I think track is track or swimming or just like like outcome individual um, individual sports that are just pure outcome based are a very uh, easy way to find that. I think uh, it's like just because as soon as you become imbalanced, <laughs> your time shows it. But in a team sport like soccer or football or basketball, you might not have really noticed that, you know, like maybe you were a little bit off because you spent too much time doing something you didn't need to. But as long as you can put the ball in the basket and make the play, does anyone really, you know, I mean, but then it might be like more injury susceptibility, things like that, longevity. Um, and then, of course, everyone wants to be in peak shape. I mean, you, of course, would want to be that way. But I think it's all I'm trying to say is I think it's easiest to at least early on find that in some of those sports like track and field, at least in my experience. There was a, a lady, Dr. Lois Clad at Concordia University in River Forest, Illinois. I met her when I was working with the, I, for two years, I worked with the White Sox and the Bulls. And what she, she had a big influence on that, on me, on, in terms of alcohol functional training, incorporating balance, proprioception, a lot of things like that. And I did it with several of the individual players uh, with the Bulls in the offseason. And it was, you could see the difference. And you look at a lot of the mm-hmm. athletes that are training today, some of it's a little over the top and a little bit weird, but it it makes a lot more sense. Now, we've danced around one word that you haven't mentioned in specificity. I think you have to be careful that you get so wrapped up in specificity that you're just trying to imitate the sport and adding stress to stress. The point that I want to make is I always want, I want to use the physical preparation piece to prepare, to prepare you so that you can get more out of your practice. Yes. You get more out of your practice you're going to be better at your event. In your case, you were a high jumper. So if you could do 12 more jumps a week this year than you did last year at at really good quality because your physical preparation had been better, that gives you, or more more longer approach jumps or something like Mm -hmm. that, that gives you the opportunity to be a lot better. You know, and I think we... What we do, it's a three-step process. It's the physical prep, strength training being part of it, actual sport practice, and then competition. And and it goes in that order, you know, because it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, in the in 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 in, in, in it, can, it isn't just numbers in 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 um in in the weight room. It can be throws. It can yeah. be you know bounds. It can be all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I think having Having more ways to express a number, especially in athletic preparation like like jump heights, um, plyometric outputs, throws outputs, it gives you more than just, oh, I lifted this weight. <laughs> and then, yeah, you quickly start to realize, too, it, I think I, I like those stories, too, where it's like, hey, they only did three lifts. Or I remember Dan John had a coach, he said he was about, like, you do your event, you have, like, a max isometric, and then a magic drill or something like that. Like, three, like three, yeah. <laughs> three things. Yeah. And to start with, to start with less and, and, but it also makes me think too, like when I was 
I also the reference of when I was in high school and just kind of figuring out my own stuff and trying to, you know, pull from the back of magazines, jump manuals. My dad bought me like the USATF conference one year. Like my Christmas gift as a senior in high school is the USATF VHS tapes, like winter conference or I don't know, something like that. So I'm watching high jump and like, it's like Troy Kemp's doing like these step ups and I'm like, I'm going to do those now. So like, Literally, the one thing I'm doing, the only exercise a few times a week is a couple sets of 10, you know, step ups on a cinder block in my basement. But like yep. my strength, but then I'm playing basketball. My strength to body weight's awesome. I'm jumping high, dunking, you know, yeah, like there you go. nothing gets beautiful. falling off yeah. that much. Like it's like, and that literally took me like 10 minutes. I might have done a couple sets of bench press, like, and yeah. then, you know, 10 years later, you're spending 70 minutes in the gym. And it's like, Wait, I don't feel as bouncy anymore. I don't, you know, I thought I was, it's almost like the thing too. It's a, it's interesting to have that wisdom where the thing that does help you at first, like you mentioned, when you got stronger, it helps at first. You're, you're gaining muscle and compression and the coordination, everything. Especially, goes with that. The, especially at the age, the, yeah. the biological age yes. that I started, you know, too. And that's, that's when you apply certain stimuli too, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, that's, yeah. it's all yeah. good. I was going to ask you with all that in mind, you know, full circle, like how would you, the, like the programming I've seen from you certainly is more um, like not barbell powerlifting oriented by at all. But I'm curious how far you would, like where would the, the furthest you would go with that stuff is or where do you see the role of the like the power, powerlift derivatives, um, typical one rep max strength or, or those big strength movements, like where do those oh, land have, in your programming now? Yeah. If you're a thrower, you have to do some of that. If you have to overcome an external load or you have to move somebody, you have to you have to incorporate that. You, you, there's, you know, and you have to armor yourself for for mm-hmm. for football and for some of those. But I I think the the thing is, and Nick Garcia and I have had this conversation a lot, and he does a wonderful job. I mean, I would look at his programs. Mm-hmm. I think had a little bit of an influence, but he's gone so far beyond me. And, and, and what the mistake that has always, that's continued to be made is they spend too much time, uh, even in football and max strength mm-hmm. and, 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 and that. So, you know, you, you get in it, you, you, you get out of it, you come back to it, you know, and, and, and our programs, um, are, I mean, uh, well, I've got, I've got contrast. I've got a, a world record holder who's coaching a world record holder who's 17 and a, and a, and a veteran athlete who's who's had all these loads imposed upon her, which almost ended her career. And so her longest, her longest strength training workout now is 40 minutes. And she'll do a 20 minute priming session, the days of matches. Summer, the longest workout she does dry land wise is about now, well, it's, we call it special core. It's about 50 minutes, her and I one-on-one. But none of it is, none of it's about heavy. It's more about connection and coordination. Remember, strength training is coordination training with appropriate resistance. The key word is that everybody thinks now is thinking about coordination training, but appropriate resistance re- is relative to the athlete. Now, I, if I were at Cal with some of the, some of the swimmers that you guys, the sprinters that you guys had, that, that Nick Boker had, there's no question that there would be, uh, there would be small blocks of max strength with those guys and women too. You know, let's not forget that that's not, you know, so I, I don't know if I'm answering the question. It's, it's a, it's a moving target and I don't want to leave people with the impression that you don't lift heavy. I'm very, very conscious though about loading the spine, mm-hmm. particularly with developing athletes that, you know, I don't think it you have to, 
And I also, the, the obsession with, with power clean and some of the Olympic lift derivatives, people spend six months learning how to power clean properly when just do a freaking high pull, you know, and, 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 and start with dumbbell high pulls. That's what Nick does, dumbbell snatches, and, and, and you're going to lead into that work. But you, you're you're doing an athlete a disservice uh, if if you're not if if you're spending all your time trying to teach them technical lifts that are necessary to be a weightlifter. But now you're a football player, you're a sprint swimmer, you know, you're a high jumper. So you can adapt the movements, you know. And remember, the highest power output comes from jumping and throwing. <laughs> If you look at if you just look at power output, so combining uh, um, movements, you know, so we'll do uh, like Elise, who's training like a javelin thrower in a lot of respects, we'll do uh, 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 you know fairly heavy high pull, and then do an over three uh, three over three reps, and then an over the back throw, followed by three repeat standing long jumps. Okay, she'll do that, five sets of those, three sets of those, depending, on to something else, you know. So, again, the, the goal is, is, is to finish the workout not feeling depleted and hammered, but to feel, my daughter said, sprinty, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to beat the shit out of yourself with training, too. You know, leave something in the tank. That's the biggest lesson that I learned. Probably it took me... I know I had different kids teach it to me, mm -hmm. um, different athletes, you know, in pro sports and that. Got to leave something in the tank, Vern. My nickname used to be One More Vern. Oh, come on, we'll just do one yeah. more. And that's when you kill them, you know. So, so I've I've abandoned that nickname. So it's yeah. one less Vern now. So yeah, I think I think just for the sake of like longevity through the years too. Like if you thought if you had two athletes each training for five or seven years and one coach was always like had him do 10% extra you know and one percent had him you know one other coach had him doing 10% less saving a set every time and yeah. Yeah. who's going to be better at who's going to have more gas in the tank and at the end of that five or seven years you know just from a long-term perspective as well well it, it, you know jollers it, it's in, in athletics to track and field that you're rewarded for longer careers today actually mm -hmm. financially report rewarded and a, a pro athlete the longer they can go, the more money they make. I mean, Elise is at the top of her earning curve right now. We had a Hall of Fame player with the White Sox, Carlton Fisk, who who changed. We changed all his training, you know, to 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 this type of training away from heavy lifting, and he was still catching at forty six. That yeah. was when he was age forty. So it gave him probably four to five more years in his career when he made the greatest amount of money. So we have to think, and, and one of the points, I, I had a little agenda here. I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that training is cumulative from, from session to session, day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year. So we build upon the previous year. So you don't have to go each year. And the analogy I use is, okay, I've got a house. I've got a nice one-level house. I want to I want to add a second floor to part of the house. What do I do? I don't tear the house down and start over. I strengthen the foundation, okay? And that's the mistake that I see people still making. I, I'm seeing seeing it all over right now. I call it the Olympic year syndrome. Everybody's gone to South Africa. All the Euros are going to South Africa, and they're doing more than they've ever done. This is the year to do less than you've done, okay? 
here you're going to take advantage of the pre well this it's a weird cycle but at least previous two years and so you don't you you strengthen the foundation you don't you don't and and so i i never use base training anymore i i i i i think that's a very misleading term it's foundation training and that's clearly defined in my system uh you know and and with the people that i work with you know so we're always going to keep strengthening the foundation each year it might be a little different emphasis you know uh than than the previous year based upon results and what you've done in the, in the previous year today's podcast is sponsored by the plyomat the plyomat is a jump testing device that allows you to instantly receive ground contact times jump heights reactive strength measurements and more in your training populations it's easy to use accurate and affordable And an awesome feature that I love about the plyo mat is it easily allows the connection of not just one mat, but you can string multiple mats together for use in things like multi-hurdle hops and bounding situations. I absolutely love the plyo mat, recommend it. And to check it out, you can head to plyomat.net. That's P-L-Y-O-M-A-T dot net. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to ask you a little bit, well, along with the foundation, a little bit more about the, the physical education piece. Um, I did want to mention too, with the Olympic lifting, I think I kind of learned that the hard way in my own career. Um, Early on, Olympic lifting was really good. Like I I self-taught in high school. I was like, oh, cleans look cool. You know, and honestly, one of the first, it's funny how I remember this. One of the first two hand dunks I had off one leg was my sophomore year. And it was the day after I did like cleans in my basement from the floor with 155 or something. And I was like, I probably weighed like 160. And I was like, oh, this feels really good. And then I remember like hand cleans never gave me quite the same thing and it oh, was just yeah. kind of this weird thing. But then long story short is um, I kind of went through these periods where I then after that initial like bit, I kind of went through these periods where like my sophomore year of college, I read about the Olympic lifters that all oh, like, you know, Vardanian could high jump seven feet off yeah. three steps. He was a master of sport and long jump and all this along with clean and jerking like there's 500. There's some, there's some KGB misinformation yeah too. you yeah. never high jump seven feet and you know on that yeah. but anyway oh, yeah, that, yeah yeah i read yeah. it i read it anyways i read i forget what manual was there's like these spiral oh, bond, there's, you know alver meal and all these guys olympic lifting guys you know want to they, they 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 create these myths and listen to you know it's it's yeah. just a bunch of yeah, shit. I, but yeah. Go on, so. yeah i'm sure i mean i imagine he at least probably did them you know it's probably well, they better, could jump better than average i mean you know? if you were watching, they can jump they could jump yeah yeah. Seven feet is pretty good though. I, I, I could see, I mean, again, I don't there. I could see like maybe six, four, one ninety yeah. or something, one ninety five. Especially looking at how short he was. Yeah. You know? a- anyways, uh yeah, I, I so I could definitely yeah. see an exaggeration. I, uh, the point I guess I was trying to make was um I, you know, I, I was so hung up on that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get my yeah. clean so high. And and it was actually a time where I was a sports medicine athletic training major, which I changed my junior year, but I also, so I wasn't sprinting as much. I wasn't doing as the other skills as much and really focusing on Olympic lifts. And my first meet, I jumped like, and my best running jump off uh, one leg was like almost as good with a two-step approach than it was off 10. And then my jump, my first jump of the year, I jumped like 6-1. It was just horrendous. And then the next, anyways, the next year, I remember, uh, it was funny, Mike, our coach gave us like sets of, three sets of 10 for cleans in the fall, which oh. is like, you'd think it's ridiculous, right? And it, and paper it is. And this always kind of, this does kind of frame my mind that sometimes ridiculous things, 
like you said, in spite of whatever, you know, but I remember, but I remember I just kind of slogged through it and we did it. And, but I had a really good other elsewise, really good training in the fall. Like had great training partners. My coach was a very physical education type person, phys ed teacher. So just a lot of good human movement, sprinting and all that stuff and throws, explosive throws, like backwards overhead, my shot backwards overhead increased like six feet. But I remember we went, did our max testing for the fall and I cleaned 245 at about 175, 180 the year before. And when I jumped six one, and then I got better. I jumped like six nine that sophomore year. Next year, cleaned two hundred when we tested it. Barely, it felt so uncoordinated, just from like the three by ten, which kind of treated the Olympic more like a general than being specific onto Olympic list. When my max yeah. went down, and then I went and jumped seven feet that year and jumped over six ten multiple times. Um, and so that was always a frame for me. But then when I was, I did utilize the Olympic lifts. Like I, I included them in programs. Saw them. Saw people get better at them early in college coaching and not get better at their events, you know, or or they did, but like it just kind of, I've kind of slowly like bounced up and down and zeroing in and where I kind of land now is I almost always, not always, but I usually either do like a, like boost shack stator four by five with like a lower weight, kind of like a home base, or I pair them with, like you said, something rhythmic or something explosive, pair it with a med ball throw, pair it with light bounding that's tempo and rhythm based and just keep it kind of lighter at, in general and that's kind of where I've landed, you know, over landed. It's like bouncing well, back and forth. Yeah, that's, I mean, th- one of the things I want to say is in my system, I probably do more Olympic lifting movements than these guys mm-hmm. that yeah. are spouse Olympic lifting. If I could, I send you programs, uh, I mean, you know, and, and sell them. Well, there's, there's a phase where we do some, what's called GA stuff. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. We'll never go above six reps. But um, you know, and we'll do a lot of a lot of complexes with with a, a a pull a a pull a push a squat and a row and stuff like that, and you'll be up to seven thousand five hundred pounds in no time, you know. And you can see the change in their bodies, you know, when when they go through this. It's the phases are the longest phase we do is is a is a six week phase, but it's two three weekers, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So there's a there's a lot of pulling. A lot of a lot of dumbbell snatches, a lot of dumbbell high pulls, um, not so much dumbbell cleans. A lot of you know, and and yeah. a, and the, the the dumbbell allows you to do the rotational aspect yeah. and, and 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 do more. And I'm doing. Uh, I'm really good friends, and and Jimmy Ratcliffe and I talk all the time, and we talked about when we started. And there's another interesting thing that I'd like the listeners to hear is. You know, back when we started lifting, and and, and I'm a little older, I'm ten years older than him. But when I, you know, all the, all the, the um, there was three lifts in the Olympic lifts. The press was in there, but I, it was always a split snatch, you know, a split clean into a jerk. And somehow we got away from that. And I'm doing a lot more split mm-hmm. squatting, front foot and rear foot elevated, and split snatching, even with a dumbbell and split uh, yeah. pulls than we ever did before. Because again, it's reciprocal, you know, and, and I look at that and uh, again, if Elise was a javelin thrower, she'd be, she'd really be pretty damn good, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest change changes we made, you know, was, was going to split work as opposed to, you know, off two legs too. So yeah, that year. I love, I love that. that. Yeah, that year I I did jump seven feet. So after the, with the three by ten cleans year, <laughs> yeah. again, it's just so funny. Like you know, I 
I mean, that uh, it's such an interesting workout. But on, after 3x10 cleans, we did 2x8 split hang snatch. And yeah. so, well, there but, you go. but, but it, it's funny because I think that was a really, really helpful piece. And, and with two yeah. by eight, it's like people are like, oh, you can't be explosive. It's like, you know, it's general. It's not like, yeah, if you yeah. want to be explosive, go do a single effort overhead backwards shot put throw, you know, or something like that. Like that can give you. And that was one thing too. I realized once I started coaching at Wilmington College and all the test outs was I saw people who were better athletes who would throw the 16 pound shot or eight pound shot overhead farther and their cleans were okay but not like amazing necessarily. And I started to realize that the correlations actually were the throws were the number one correlator. And then two was like the Olympic list. Not that they couldn't be good. I always just kind of weigh the Olympic lifts against a good, like backward shot put, or even like a good depth jump to a med ball, you know, overhead type thing, yeah, like well, something like that. Well, in my looking at, and again, looking at a lot of information here as we're getting ready to move and going through that. I don't know about correlation. I'm not a stat guy. And correlation implies causation. Uh, and But I always was interested, and this is where going back to the president's fitness test when they had standing long jump. Mm. Standing long jump tells me a lot. Can you coordinate? Can you project horizontally? And over the back throw. And you look mm -hmm. at all the European literature going back, forget drugs and all of that. There's always a standing long jump, not a vertical jump, okay, because it's horizontal projection. And then an over the back and, and or a forward through the legs and looking at the difference. And I saw that in baseball because we did that in training. You know, the guys who could jack a ball, the guys who could throw farther got better. It's, it's about coordination, you know, too. Yeah, yeah, because you've got to get that sequential firing, you know, that you need to to, to transfer. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad, um, Vern. I'm glad you brought Salkanov or Salnikov up. I will put that in the show notes, so whoever's listening, go to the show notes on Just Fly Sports. I will find the Salkanov video because it's like you know, oh cool. Even like Good. the sissies. I know that the swimmers at Cal showed me it. They're like, hey, check this guy out. I'm watching well, it. They like, had it. Yeah. See, Nor, you yeah. were you were really you you you. I'm sure you got to know Nor. Oh yeah, Nor yeah. was was a mentor to me. Wonderful. I mean, I I still I miss his phone calls. I, I mean, there was one a month or sometimes every week he would call. Usually, in you know, it was mid afternoon here, uh, his lunchtime, and I, I just learned so much from him because first of all, he was curi really curious, mm -hmm. and secondly, um, he 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 uh, he was always looking for better ways, you know, and looking outside the sport of swimming, you know, which which was a real inspiration, and not and not afraid to share his, you know, his mistakes too, you know, which again. I, I tell us what I tell a lot of coaches. If you know, there's a lot of gurus out there now. I heard somebody talk yesterday. Geez, you have yeah, I have eight years of experience. Oh, really? That I'm really, I'm really impressed. Tell me how many mistakes you've made, how many failures you've made. Yeah, you're coaching a in pro football. How many did you break before you got that guy? And that's to me, that's the acid test that I I, I want to know. Let's talk about. We could do another podcast about failures, the things that where where you I broke people, yeah. where we did too much. You know, lost a national championship at Cal because the race wasn't on Monday; it was on Saturday. But on Monday, we were we would have beat anybody in the country. But they don't give medals for the last practice before nationals. You know, so you know you you you, you gotta you learn. You you keep you keep trying to get better. You 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 like I said, it's 
it's it's it's it's it's about curiosity it's about deep investment in a process creating a system you know your own system and uh and 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 the core of that system once you coach a few years never really changes but on the outside you're constantly fine-tuning you know and that yeah i was gonna yeah the last uh question or two here i think I'd like to kind of dig into the art that goes with that system. And you had mentioned like Rick Rubin and even like the, yeah. the Salnikov thing, you know, that's why I was thinking about that Salnikov. And like, there was one, I, I believe I remember it's kind of like, almost like a sissy squat, but he like went all the way backwards. I've saw like a breakdance oh. move like that. I was like, this guy is insane. Like I remember, oh. I think the distance swimmers there, I was like, Hey, can you do this? And they're like, I'll break, like I'll break if I They'll do break. this. Yeah. But you watch that and you're like, it, it reminded me a little bit about, um, this guy isn't involved in organized like pro sports, but Kadur Ziani is like a, he's like in slam nation. Like he's like a dunker guy from like Algeria, France, okay. who I think okay. he high jumped seven one. I you think he just walked out seven one, but five yeah. eleven could do all these, you know, really, really amazing dunks and a longevity guy. Like he is still dunking into his late forties and like a very, if you watch his training videos, it remind me a lot of Salnikov with like a lot of really like a kind of like a mobility emphasis, but like a creative mobility emphasis is what I'll call it. And I think there's maybe a certain mentality or mind that goes with that. But I also don't think every athlete's meant to be like that. You know, there's, it's, it's a, oh, it's a yeah. unique place to yeah. be for sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, we, that's, that's again, uh, Joel, we have to be careful we don't put people in boxes. Yeah. I just had a conversation with a coach that I worked with a lot about his swimmer who's really up and coming going to make the Olympic team. And, and we were talking about, well, she's really tight a lot. What should we do? And I said, I'm going to think about it a little bit more. I've seen her. I've not, mm -hmm. I've seen her. Um, I don't want to say who it is, but uh, when they come down here yeah. and train and, and he says, well, we're going to do yoga. And I, I that, and I, I had um, um, the girl that got the silver medal, um, uh, Wyatt. Uh, we did some yoga. We did it ourselves rather than mm -hmm. having. And I and I said, but there's only so many hours in a day, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, and you look at some of these people, and and they're you know they're hypermobile, and they can do all yeah, this. They're stuff. already there. Yeah. Yeah, they're already there. And some people, and is this like summer gets really tight? In, in her lats and her traps, you know, well, it, it takes, it's some manual, it's, it's, it's tech, it's, it's swim technique. It's what we're doing in terms of strength training. I mean, we're working, the, you know, and, and we've had to eliminate a couple of exercises that just aren't right for her. But the key thing is, 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 is some manual therapy timed correctly um, once or twice a week, you know, and, uh, so yeah, it's you got to be careful. I mean, those I love looking at that stuff. I, I, uh, it's you know, there's some stuff with the uh, who was the Swedish high jumper, the uh, oh, Stefan uh, Holm, like uh, Stefan Holm. I mean, yeah. you look at that and I go, this is really impressive. How many people tried to do that, you know? And he was creative, <laughs> kind of like that too, you know, like those guys, like his his special drills and the rhythm kind of similar maybe not the flexibility type but the way his that yeah, yeah, creativeness yeah. the Warner the famous Warner Gunther tape I mean oh, yeah. I, I spent a wonderful Martin Bingeser and I had lunch with his with his coach last year when I was in, I mean it was it was we we had a contest we started naming the sports um uh Jean-Pierre Egger and who worked who's worked with more sports and he got me by two I'd never worked with sailing and something else oh wow sailing and wrestling he worked you know? sailing 
He, yeah, he got sailing. all those ideas from sailing. Oh, I'll turn the sailing yeah. team. And oh, I mean, Edgar, I mean, if you look at yeah. that tank, you know, that guy was 6'7", 280 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at that tape and watch him. But, you know, you, you, you got to understand everything that goes behind that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat to watch. But, but there's a lot. There's, I mean, the guys, some of the guys now that are throwing almost two meters farther maybe can't do that i don't know i'm not uh i i i don't think kovacs is 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 as mobile an athlete as um krauser but i don't know yeah i mean nick has been around him a lot and he he says that you know yeah it's it's so interesting too not to rabbit trail at all and i i trying to close out or not to rabbit trail too long here, but I was just watching, and this is more from a rib cage perspective. Like I, I'm really interested in like the rib cage and um, like basically what does if you're a really strong athlete, like Kovac squats 800 for reps, you know, oh, like, like legitimately. And you think about yeah, I yeah. I like uh, liking it to like segmental rolling, like if you're just lying on the ground and you're rolling, but you're trying to like twist your body like a towel while doing it. Like Krauser twists like a towel way more. Kovacs moves kind of like a refrigerator with a cannon, you know, like, it's like that's probably the best Crazy description, <laughs> but, but still number through number two throw all time. I mean, so that, that is, was his that's superpower. The key thing, you know? There's so many roads to Rome, yeah, right? Yeah. There's so many roads to Rome, but this is the mistake. This is what I said. This is the mistake as a young, I wanted to have everybody, you know, and, and, and even though I was heavily influenced by Tom Teles, Tom had a, a model for each event. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and that really, and then it 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 really helped. I mean, we finished second at nationals my last year at Cal. It was because of the things I learned that January from Tom. But then as I've grown, I'm going. Wait a minute, I gotta I I, I gotta adapt more. I gotta adapt more to that to that person's anatomy, mm-hmm. to their personality. Personality has a big know, one. Yeah. yeah, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. I was really. Just a- I was just going to say, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I was just going to say with uh, like, like Salkinov, I, I, or you can really tell with the Ziani video and I'll, I'll put both of them in the show notes, but you could tell oh, that they, guy's oh. personality kind of fits with like, they're out there, like in, in their way that makes them unique, you know? And if you gave like that exact prescription, I th- even think with some of the stretchy mobility stuff, I think there's something that there's some people that I just think are more wired even mentally to like be receptive to that kind of thing. Like we argue about it from an only physiological perspective and sure there's a lot of, I think valid things with that, but I also think there's something mental about it too, in my opinion, but I don't know if, I don't know exactly how to put it. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, look, I, I, I'd have to walk a little bit or something, but I'm, I'll be 77 in January. Yeah. I could drop down and do the splits right now. flexibility has never been an issue with me and some of the most i had a a girl at cal who's a ten thousand meter runner she's the 10th best ever and she ran thirty three fifty six or something she was always hurt and she Mm. could do full-on front splits in that and you know so it it makes that's again that's the curious part of this it makes you wonder you know and we know that flexibility Mm. has you know, it's 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 mobility with stability yeah. is what you need. You know, but but again, understanding that and 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 but that's where the marriage of strength training and and we will one rule that I have is we never never sacrifice range of motion for resistance because mm-hmm. I learned that myself. That's how I got. I mean, going back to to high school, like like with you, 
they were saying, well, you're going to get really tight. And I, all of a sudden, I'm touched. I'm putting my hands flat on the ground, you know, and everything. It was contrary to what they what they had told me, you know, the experts or not the experts. Yeah. My coaches that were they, they were I had a great high school basketball coach. But um, first time I missed a shot, missed a, you know, an air ball. And he goes, wait, you know, in summer league, it was the first time we had summer league. I go, it's not the weight training. Coach, <laughs> yeah. I worked eight hours before the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess with that mobility, yeah, like 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 a Salkanov too. I keep mentioning it, but it's like people watch the video. You know, it's like one of the amazing, most amazing training videos. But like that guy had control of all his range. Like it's like this, literally a fish who can do these back bends, like knees yes. forward, back bends with with ultimate and precise control. And that's just something that we don't think about. It's like you don't you see it. It's like wow, this is a new world. Like, you know, yeah. and, and so just so such good stuff. Um, all right. So last question here, though, just in light of all that and in light of what you're learning about creativity and, you know, coming out of the 80s. And yeah, I, I just think, too, like that creativity, the Werner Gunther video and Pierre Eger. So it's so good to watch and see. But yeah. advice for developing creativity in a way that is also like practical, like not just to like, I think it's easy yeah. to do it and just, hey, this will people will like this on social media. This is cool. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like your, your take on um, the uh, practical and helpful creativity uh, in the art form of coaching. Yeah. Well, creativity, first of all, is not getting weird. It's, it's trying to, it's being able to look at the same motion with different eyes. Mm. And sometimes it's as simple as, as simple as like when I, when I spent five days with Tom Telez in Houston in, in 1982, we said, where do you watch a shot and disc from? And I said, well, of course, you know, like the right side, right? A right-handed thrower. And he says, no, watch from behind, go up in the stands and watch from above you'll see things that you haven't seen before. And and to me, that's part of the creative process. But curiosity, I keep coming back to this, curiosity is the, is the foundation of creativity and innovation, okay? So, so you have to have curious eyes, you know, to be able to do that. And it's, it's and, and I think you mentioned this too. I think some of it is playing with, playing with the, the sport that you're doing yourself, even though you, you're maybe not proficient with it. And, and you're going you're gonna to try different things and don't be afraid to try different things. That's part of what the creative process is. And it's if, if uh, I'm, I've been influenced a lot by IDEO, the design company, uh, you know, who, who and, and um, you know, key step in, I've got it up here on my wall, the key step in design st- thinking is iteration. So start with a basic technical model and refine the technical model and make sure the technical model fits the athlete that you're working with, not the not fitting the athlete to the technical model. Yes. You know, and, and that takes a, a, a curious and a creative eye to be able to do that, you know. But you've got to really understand the technical model first, you know. I mean, you have to start there, you know. Uh, so that's... That would be what I the advice that I would give. Yeah. If if you're, coach, if you're coaching athletics, if you're coaching track and field, that's the greatest sport there is. I'm sorry, I've worked with a lot of sports, you know, but it's it's a great sport because it's a foundation for all other movements in a, in in sport. So yeah, I kind of but, feel like almost even as you were talking early on in this podcast, I was like, what if there was like a, you know, not even a pentathlon, like a triathlon of track that just got people, every, anybody in, you know, who works yeah. with athletes could do it. Like it, let's yeah. do the hundred meter dash. Let's do long jump and throw the shot put or something, you know, something like Run, that. Jump and throw. Yeah, yeah. The Brits did that. It was called a five star scheme. I guess I, I, and, um, and, and, uh, it, they scored it, 
And so if you were under nine, it was a triathlon. If you were nine to 12, it was uh, whatever, four events. And then it went, and eventually they went to 10 events and they scored it. And if I were principal of a school or athletic director, well, Nick Garcia just told me they're doing it. They're, they're running in quote combines, you know, for the seventh and eighth grade kids that are potentially applying to Notre Dame high school. Yeah. Hmm. And to get it, get people, some, some company needs to do something like that and put it in a mall, (laughs) you know, have a, have a 30 yard or 40 yard dash uh, over the back med ball throw and, you know, something like that. And, and hype it up. Yeah. You know, I, I, I consulted with, with, uh, Trinidad, uh, their ministry of sport. And I, I said, this is, this is what you need to do. This is what the Brits used to do. And their system is very British still now. I said to go to all the elementary schools. And I said, here's a scoring table, you know, and have the PE teachers do this, you know, and don't try to pigeonhole them in the track and everybody goes to track, which is great, you know, they're uh, or track or soccer. But uh, yeah, it, it'd be cool. And 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 because uh, who who's the fastest kid in your class in fifth grade? You know who it was. I, remember, I know. Yeah. yeah, right. And and uh, who's my? You know who's you know? And then what happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. He didn't grow, or she didn't grow. Yeah. You know, or something like that. But it's still it's it's uh there's something about that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Pretty neat. So it's basic, really, really basic. Right. Yeah, I love it. Well, Vern. <laughs> Well, Vern, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate your um, being able to chat with you here on video, finally. Uh, well, I guess we yeah. got to chat in person like 10 years ago or whatever, but yeah. it was awesome yeah. having this conversation with you. And uh, man, I'm inspired to start a 70s and 80s. I have like three books or four books, but I'm inspired to really build that out to like a solid 20. And that's right. like a set. Well, set. <laughs> so give me some ideas after the show. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely work on that. And, and I, I've certainly, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, there's, there's classics, right? I mean, and I, I, I quick story the other day, I, summer Macintosh, she was 17. And I, 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 uh, it was an analogy I was going to use. I was working a little on something on, a, on falling from the center. And I said, do you know what a cyclops is? She looked at me like, and, and I, I mean, my generation, I don't know about you. Everybody had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And she's a bright, really bright girl. So I explained, oh, I saw that on, on some, mon- you know, mon- uh, not monster movie, but whatever. I said, you know, the one eye. But, but like, yeah, you got to learn the classics. And there's classics in, in, in all, you know, in, in, in athletics that everybody should read. Track and Field Omnibook, oh, 1980 yeah. edition. That is the number one book. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I, I do have that. I, maybe I sell myself short, but there's definitely ones I need to add 100%. Um, yeah. You know, I was I was just gonna say one other thing with the the creative piece because I didn't have a good I feel like I didn't have a good follow up, but like the idea of just doing simple better, like you said with Tom, like take the simple thing, but then find all the ways to do that better, to observe it, to be aware of it, to you know, like I think maybe that just fits with the drill mindset. We just do the one thing, do it this one way, you know, and now yeah. do the next one, do it this one way, and like instead of taking the time to find the thing and then find the awareness of the main thing, so. Maybe that summarized really, really well. That's good. I'm going to write that down as soon as we get off. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, that was on the shirts of the Cal Swim team once, uh, like 2014. I'll never, I always remember that. So, uh, simple better. Yes. Uh, yeah. Doing simple better. That was that stuck like, with that stuck with me, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, that's that's a great one. I'm sending that off to a couple of athletes 
as soon as we get off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, it's, uh, well hey, again, um, thank you so much, Vern. Appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. No, I appreciate it. It's really fun. Love these conversations. Thank you. And have a wonderful holidays. That finishes another podcast. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week.